Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Today is episode 25, where I want to talk about our ability to hear in a world of clickbait. I'd venture to say that most of us in social media land love clickbait. You know what clickbait is. It's that that article that you're just scrolling through Facebook or Twitter and it just kind of jumps off the page that you're like, man, that sounds so intriguing. I just gotta I just gotta click and see what this is about. And no sooner than we click than we go ahead and hit the back button after about 30 seconds on the page that we came across and we think, well, I got enough information to to scratch my curiosity about that, or I got enough information so that I can go back uh, to the comment section uh, from which this article originated to make a comment and get in a debate with somebody so I can tell them how stupid the Republicans are, how stupid the Democrats are, how stupid the atheists are, how stupid the Christians are, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, or how, how good that food is or how bad that food is, you know. So we get our jollies off that. Clickbait. We love it. And a lot of websites out there, you know, love making it. Because, frankly, clicks translate into advertising opportunities. And advertising opportunities translate into dollars. And the more that they can get you to click, the more they can get you to uh, view ads. And the more dollars they can make. And so that's basically the, the essence of social media. And that's... How the entire operation works. It works that way with uh, kind of a sleazy sort of tabloid type uh, TMZ type websites and it, you know it works that way for you know even Reuters News and CNN and Fox News and all the other major news outlets. Everybody just wants you to click on their stories so they, they give you just enough to, to pique your curiosity and make you uh, click the link or click the image and uh, comment and, and start your outrage. Uh, you know, I kind of experienced a little bit of this, personally speaking, when I uh, recently did a uh, article on, or a podcast recently on um, my view on guns and self-defense and war and all that sort of stuff and, and nonviolence. And I went ahead and I was like, well, let's see what happens if I, you know, put this out there on Facebook and I at- associated a couple advertising dollars with it just to see what kind of uh, response I could get from people. And oh boy, was there ever a response to the idea of an article by an evangelical Christian espousing a nonviolent worldview. And you know, but it was interesting because so many people rushed to comment on it. And uh, it came clear to me from all the comments that were starting to pile up in the thread on the Jimmy's Table Facebook page that uh, not too many people had actually taken time to even scan the article, let alone listen to the podcast. Uh, and some people that did comment about, uh, you know, scanning it, just like, well, I, I, I scanned through it real quick and I saw the notes and it sounded like, you know, something I'd heard before. So that didn't stop them from uh, ripping me a good one <laughs> about what they exactly thought on my theology and my view of uh, guns and things like that in regard to politics. They just, they just couldn't wait to, to comment. So such is the society, uh, you know, we ultimately live in. We live in an age of clickbait. And it makes me wonder if our age of clickbait, if, if our predisposition, if the programming we've kind of uh, kind of become hooked to in regard to how we read and study and uh, get information, 
you know, it makes me wonder if we've lost the ability to listen and to hear anyone anymore on any topic whatsoever. And truth be told, I'm not so sure that we have the ability to do that anymore. We don't have the ability to sit there and truly listen to somebody and, and to hear them out and their perspective and their news coverage and to, to truly digest and weigh what is being said. We've kind of just become dispositioned to, to, to take the quick bite much as a fish, you know, just in a reactionary manner sort of just bites the lure uh, just to see what it tastes like uh, before they try to spit it out and before they do it, they find themselves hooked. So whether it be quickly scrolling through the comments of your 700 best friends on Facebook or Twitter, <laughs> or uh, whether you're scrolling across a BuzzFeed headline, I think social media has made us clickbait addicts. Uh, we like the short, pithy 140 character sayings, uh, even if it causes us to misunderstand the true intent and meaning behind what that person was saying, uh, we like the misunderstanding just the same. We, we thrive off it. We thrive on not truly hearing and understanding what somebody is thinking and the point of view they're trying to express. We're simply programmed to think about how quickly we can latch on and hook on to the, the short little thing that has been said and treat that as if it were the whole. You know, we, we really have become, in my mind, conditioned for a sort of wham, bam, thank you, ma'am sort of uh, length of content when it comes to our ability to, to process and digest stuff. You know, that's why once upon a time I used to have a blog and, and it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was somewhat popular, but it did have a bit of traffic and I, you know, carried this blog on for a couple of years. But I noticed as time went by that uh, people didn't really seem to be reading what I had to say anymore. And if they did read something, they definitely didn't read anything that would be known as long-form content. Uh, at best, it seemed like people were scanning my headlines and reading maybe about 500 words out of 3,000 that I might have actually written. Um, and I just eventually got to the point where I decided, okay, I'm going to retire from blogging, uh, actively, and I'm just going to go sit on the sidelines and give in to the, um, give in to the, uh, you know, clickbait world of Facebook and Twitter and just say whatever I wanted to have to say at 140 characters because I realized that, you know, nobody was paying attention to the 3,000. <laughs> Uh, but I found I could make him pay attention to the 140 if I said something short, pithy, and angry enough. <laughs> but you know, that, that eventually kind of started to wear thin and eat on me and, and stuff. And that kind of ultimately led to, to sort of try to form this podcast here. Because I think, you know, for all of our clickbait stuff, for all of our 140 characters, for all of our short uh, articles and news coverage and that sort of stuff... I still think and believe in my heart of hearts that there is a world out there for which there is such things as long, reasonable discourses and uh, 
long-form content, so to say. And I believe podcasting uh, really has opened up the opportunity for people to escape the clickbait headline stuff. And, and, you know, I think that's so cool. One of the cool things I love about podcasting is that somebody is actually possibly, hopefully, <laughs> going to take the time uh, to listen to yours truly. Um, and that's, that's kind of humbling because you could be doing a million other things uh, than what you're doing right now, but you're actually taking time uh, out of your day, your busy day, to spend 20 minutes, 40 minutes, 60 minutes, or like last week, an hour and a half, um, to, to listen to something a little more serious, a little less rushed, and more thoughtful and put together. Um, and I think there's a hunger out there for things like this, and that's why podcasting has kind of started uh, kind of exploding in recent years and becoming what it's becoming uh, as a popular meme because I think people, to some degree, are starting to tire of the clickbait sort of stuff. Um, but I don't think we're quite away from that yet. People still love to scroll through the, the comments of their 700 best friends <laughs> and find out what everybody's thinking um, and, uh, at once. Uh, and I think it's getting kind of ridiculous, frankly. And I kind of hope that maybe you know, podcasting will offer up the opportunity for people to really have uh, serious conversation around the world um, about all manner of topics in a way that Twitter and Facebook and blogging has not allowed us uh, to converse yet. But as it stands for the most part, for now, we want it all, and we want it all right now. And that's the, the philosophical premise, I guess you could say, behind clickbait. Is that we want it all, and we want it all right now. Um, and we're not willing to settle for anything other than everything all in bite-sized, uh, fortune cookie-sized pieces of digestible information. And you know... the. the I don't even know that I think that what's being put out there frequently on Facebook, Twitter, and social media, and the news sites and stuff, I don't know that that could even qualify as news or commentary much these days. Or even all the talking heads you see on TV with the 15 minutes they spend arguing back and forth and bickering with five heads sharing the screen for five minutes to have their full-blown philosophical opinion uh, put forward on stuff. I don't even know that that counts as information anymore. In my opinion, it's quickly becoming really just another form of gossip. It's just another little dainty morsel to get us through our day, to, to kind of hold us over, to kind of to titillate uh, our minds and our curiosities. And it's really nothing more than that. Uh, it is just a form of gossip. We may not be talking about anybody per se, but we're kind of allowing people to to, to hear what we're thinking just the same in little gossipy sort of sound bites uh, or thoughts or 140 characters. Um, it's information, you know, taken out of context uh, and ignored out of a greater whole. Um, and really, when you think about it, that's really what kind of gossip is at the end of the day. It's information kind of taken out of context. It's tidbits of information that just are so juicy and wonderful. Um, and so delicious and savory. <laughs> uh, 
And, uh, you know, I have to sit there and think about that. Because, you know, this wasn't in my notes. I'm just kind of making this up as I go. But, you know, that kind of speaks to me. That kind of, you know, maybe convicts me a little bit. Maybe I should back away from just the little tidbits of information I put out there. Not because, you know, I don't mind, you know, I have nothing to hide. And I don't mind people knowing about my life or what I'm thinking at any given moment. But, uh, you know, maybe the small little bit of information we put out there at the end of the day is... Even if it's 100% true of what we're thinking and a complete, accurate representation of everything we think and value and believe um, and if we're, as the ones who are primarily sharing it, you know, maybe it is still a form of gossip at the end of the day. I don't know. What do you think about that? Jimmy at Jimmy'sTable.com uh, or let me know what you think on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, do you think this is, you know, these 140 characters is kind of... Uh, gossipy at the end of the day, even if it is 100% factually true, uh, simply because it is divorced from all greater context. But anyway, I, I digress. You know, the, the thinking about clickbait, though, got me to thinking about um, a couple stories that have happened in this uh, past week. Uh, the first story is that of uh, the scandal that is starting to brew regarding regarding uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University and some of the uh, kind of nepotistic real estate shenanigans and other bad behavior or alleged bad behavior that's surrounding Jerry Falwell and his running to Liberty University and how he's kind of getting rich off his, uh, you know, college that he's running, that he inherited from his father, who was the minister that founded Liberty University. And, you know, I, I shared this news article uh, on my personal Facebook page, and it was interesting because uh, somebody I know who's a recent graduate from Liberty University, they've responded to it, and they, they let me know that uh, they've read about a third of it, and they're like, you know, seems pretty well documented, and uh, it sounds like a lot of these things might have some weight or truth behind them. Uh, but, you know, it's a really long article, and I could only read about a third of it. And I was like, hey, kind of ironic there for uh, somebody who was a history major and is a currently a history teacher <laughs> to complain about a uh, news article, an investigative news article, being too long for him to bother reading in full. He just was like, well, you know, I read about a third of it, and it seemed really good, and and even though I, you know, went to this college and stuff and have a vested interest in the college I just graduated from and uh, used as my degree to, to get my job, you know, well, uh, at the end of the day, the article was just too long and I had to stop. <laughs> and I was just thinking, huh, I, I just found that ironic and funny, uh, and, you know, and no condemnation in uh, my view of that, uh, you know, we all have our own time. You know, we can't all read everything. But, you know, it kind of made me think. You know, here's this guy who's uh, a history major, who I assume has read many a dry, multi-hundred, maybe even multi-thousand books on all sorts of, you know, dates and figures and times and peoples and wars of history of America, around the world, and other such things. And he can't even be bothered to read a full investigative article about 
uh, possible corruption at his alma mater. Um, I just found that really ironic. And I was like, well, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> thanks for reading the third of the article. But uh, keep that in mind uh, when you're when your students turn in their history term papers at the end of the semester that uh, you read a little more than a third of the paper and just not say, yeah, well, I read the first third. That seemed pretty good. Uh, so it seemed well documented and I saw where he was going. So uh, I backed away from reading the rest. <laughs> uh, clickbait is destroying us. It's destroying even our history majors, folks. My, my, my. Makes you really wonder what has happened to our ability to digest information, to, to dig deeper, to verifying facts with multiple sources of content, and to use people that we normally disagree with uh, or expect to disagree with as a possible source. What happened to going beyond the first page or two of Google in our search results? Uh, it's well known amongst web developers that if you don't land on the first page of Google's search results when somebody looks for a term or phrase or keyword, well, you might as almost well not be there to begin with because people, like I think, it, what's the stat? I think like 70% of people don't go beyond the first three or four links of a Google search result, uh, let alone actually clicking to the second or third or fourth or fifth page. By that time, they've just moved on. Uh, and they assume that there could possibly be nothing else out there if it doesn't come back in the first couple pages. Um, and so if they don't find what they're looking for on the first page, if they manage to get to the second, they just hit the back button and search for a new phrase or term similar to the one they already searched for in hopes that they get slightly different results. And frankly, the results we're looking for when we look on such things is we're looking basically for sight that we know we're programmed in our minds to think about ahead of time. Things that we know that will probably agree with us and come from sites that we're already kind of probably familiar with on a lot of topics. Uh, unless we're looking for brand new information. But even then, we're looking for it to kind of have a pizzazzy heading uh, and something that sounds like it should grab your attention. Because if it read, if a title read in any remotely less than snazzy way, we probably wouldn't bother clicking on it anyway because we're just so predisposed to looking for the things that we think we want to look for to begin with. Uh, you know, what happened? I can't help but wonder, whatever happened to fully listening not only to the things that we like and listening to those things in full, but what about the things that we hate? What about only forming opinions on topics only after we've read two, both or three or four sides um, of an issue uh, and not making informing opinions about such topics until we've had the opportunity to hear somebody else that not only contradicted what we've already read and studied, but contradict our own thoughts on a particular topic. 
Instead, we kind of dabble in that confirmation bias of, of reading things and listening to things and exposing ourselves to things that only further confirm what we already wanted to kind of believe anyway. My wife is a librarian, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and my wife was telling me once, and I found this story so fascinating, that when she was taking her library and information systems classes, and when she was working on her graduate degree in library studies uh, in college, that she said that her professor in grad school said an interesting thing, and I just find this fascinating, that every library, every library, personal and public, uh, and private, you know, whatever. Every library should have at least 13% of the books that are curated in that library that the librarian or owner of that library finds personally offensive. And so my wife, in every library that she's set up and taught in for elementary school and junior highs and whatever, my wife has made it a point to make sure that there are books in her library that she personally finds repugnant, not only in the, the, the style of the book uh, and the art of the book, because, you know, she's an elementary school teacher, so a lot of uh, librarians, a lot of the books have pictures. But not only the artistic, you know, she makes sure she has material that she finds objectionable from even a moral standpoint, um, you know, that teaches lessons that she disagrees with and finds personally offensive. And she does that to ensure that there is not any of this confirmation bias and that people are truly exposed to the wealth and depth and width and breadth of knowledge that is out there. Uh, yeah, she still has her favorites and she sticks to those on a regular basis. And, you know, she preaches a, thing, uh, a lesson of, uh, you know, if after a couple chapters of a book, if you have not read it and just haven't fallen in love with the book, you know, maybe you should find something else to read that, uh, you know, kind of captivates your attention a little bit more. Um, but still, I, I like this sort of mindset, a 13% of the books. So ask yourself, if you were to look over to your bookshelf right now, if you were to look at the books you've handed to friends and families as, hey, you should take an opportunity to read this. Is your bookshelf lined with things that you primarily agree with things that you primarily like? Or is this, there any room on your bookshelf for things that you find morally, intellectually, philosophically reprehensible and even reprobate? Because I don't think if you, if you don't have such a library, then you're really not giving yourself the opportunity to truly hear and to learn and to take things in. Your library consists of something that no matter how deep the books might ultimately be, uh, you know, resemble more of a, a clickbait sort of mentality more than anything. Another story that caught my mind this week, you know, was the, the story of the, uh, the pastor out in California. Uh, his name's Jared Wilson, who was a mental health advocate um, is somebody who struggled with depression and suicidal thoughts. And, and Jared Wilson, uh, very young, successful pastor from 
all my understanding of the, the issue is uh, recently committed suicide. Very sad and tragic thing. But I noticed that in light of his death, that was there was a rush in the public sphere to publish reflective commentary on the tragedy of his sudden death. And that such commentary was issuing even on Christianity Today with Ed Setzer, uh, Stetzer and, and guys like that who, you know, well-meaning as they might have been and as thoughtful as their comments may have been and as true as their comments may have been, that they were publishing such comments, reflective, in-depth analysis of this pastor's suicide, all within less than 12 hours of the man being dead. And I can't help but wonder these these ministers, these, these publishers, these blog writers, these news people, you know, well-intentioned as they may have been, I can't help but wonder in all the rush to comment and the rush to publish if, you know, perhaps they didn't do so a little too fast. The man hadn't even been dead for 12 hours and he, his story was all of a sudden going viral and everybody was weighing in on what they thought about his death in light of the church and its handling of mental illness in the context of pastoral ministry and all that sort of stuff. And I can't help but wonder, you know, whether it's Jerry Falwell Jr. or Jared Wilson, if we as a society in our rush to publish content so that people can digest and consume, if we've not truly lost the ability to hear and to truly have the opportunity to wrestle with the meaning and significance of this young man's death. And I can't help but believe in my heart of hearts as well-intentioned as all these guys have been, as wonderful as even their comments have been. Did we really set ourselves up in our rush to publish in less than 12 hours or 24 hours, did we really set up ourselves in a position to truly hear something reflective that was, you know, really meaningful and worth sharing? For people to have something to truly digest and to weigh on their souls? Or is it just another headline, just another opportunity to publish? Just another opportunity to say something because we all have this reflexive attitude to to respond to stimuli um, and to immediately let the rest of the world know exactly what we think when such things happen. What sort of spaces are we creating for hearing in such times as this? And I can't help but wonder if we fail to make time for hearing in such times, how will we hear when other hard things must truly be listened to? Jesus said many times in his teaching, He who has ears, let him hear. And because, you know, at the end of the day, his time's really not any different than ours. Not much has changed in humanity in 2,000 years. I can't help but wonder 
if Jesus's question to the crowds of her state or his statement rather to the crowds of he who has ears let him hear if that's still not true today he who has ears let him hear I believe that to hear merely requires an involuntary response to external stimuli that we commonly refer to as sound. <laughs> it's nothing more, our hearing is nothing more than arousing of a bodily organ that just happens to be attached to our head. But I think true hearing involves a process. True hearing is an intentional act. It's a laborious work. It involves willfully taking something in and chewing on it before deciding how we should respond. Far from being reflexive and quick to respond, it is ultimately an act of meditation that opens up our ears and our hearts to hear something beyond mere sound. And then I think in much of our hearing that we do these days, especially in light of social media, even though it's on a computer screen, <laughs> you know, most of us are just responding to sound. We're just responding to external stimuli that, you know, tickles the organs on the sides of our head. <laughs> and we're not truly having the opportunity to hear. And I believe that at the end of the day, we can we must put ourselves in a place of hearing, and the only way to truly put ourselves in a place of hearing is to walk in humility. A humility that says we don't know everything, and that we're always willing to learn, and that we're hungry to learn more, even when we think we've probably already had everything figured out, even when we think this story sounds familiar. This rhymes like something that somebody else has written. And I feel like I'm quite familiar with it. So I can go ahead and lash out <laughs> irrationally at whoever made this comment. Because I don't need to give an opportunity to hear this person's position on anything. I already know what they're going to say before they say it. He who has ears, Jesus said. <laughs> Let him hear. And thinking about that, you know, it kind of kind of hits home to me at work, at the big bad bank that I work at. I'm uh, known as a quality assurance analyst. <laughs> uh, I, I basically, you don't know what a, a quality assurance analyst does at my work, and in particular my line of work. Uh, I end up basically going through all the mortgages uh, that we attempt to make and making sure uh, the people that are underwriting those mortgages know what they're doing, that they dotted their I's, that they crossed their T's, that they made sure that the loan made sense and all that they did. Um, and, you know, it's my responsibility not only to, to check what their knowledge is and to make sure they did everything right, but it's also my uh, job responsibility to train those people uh, to provide feedback and coachback. Well, as you can imagine, I've been doing uh, underwriting type things for a number of years now, and I've had the opportunity to earn a ton of different certifications. I'm 
like one of a handful of people that have like a dozen certifications or more at the, the big bad bank that I work at. So you can imagine, you know, having like a dozen certifications and a dozen different underwriting type uh, products for what I do. You can imagine I probably think I know just about everything there is to know about what I do and what other people should be doing as well. Uh, I can come off quite opinionated and something of a know-it-all. However, be that as it may, you might would think that would be my disposition. To some degree it is. But you know, I've, one thing I've learned over the years doing this job is that there's always something to learn just about every single day. And if I don't have the right attitude and if I don't put myself in a position to constantly learn new things and to be open to learning new things and to be open to criticism and receiving criticism, even from people who I might deem as, uh, you know, having an inferior knowledge base or skill set, <laughs> you know, I'm going to truly miss the opportunity to really learn. And I'm really going to mess things up. Uh, and if I have that mindset, well, you know, if I had that mindset, I wouldn't have as, as many different certifications as I do at work. Uh, today, because if I were truly a know-it-all, and nobody could, if I never made myself open to, to hearing correction, you know, it wouldn't have provided me the opportunities uh, that I've had at work, and I wouldn't have learned as much as I have, uh, because I would have thought, I've arrived. <laughs> and you know what somebody told me once about the irony of somebody who has arrived? They have, because they're not going to go one inch further. Um, and since I hope to, you know, advance in my career, as the years go by, I got to keep myself open that no matter how much I know, I always have to keep myself open to hearing what else is new, what new, what new thing has happened, what's the latest development, and how can I implement that into my daily work schedule um, and what I do for my career. Because the moment I think I know it all, <laughs> that's the moment I stop growing as an individual, and that's the moment my career comes to a grinding halt. So I must always see myself, ultimately, as somebody who not only has the opportunity to, to learn something new, but to re even to relearn something that I've known all along. <laughs> you know, to always remain humble and to be in a place of saying, well, you know, maybe I need to relearn something I've even forgotten. Because, you know, when you have as much breadth of knowledge as I have gained over the years, through my position and through all the certifications I have at work at the, the big bank. <laughs> um, you know, you tend to forget stuff that you don't use every day. Um, so I always have to remain in a position to be not afraid to look something up in a manual or to, to reach out to a lending officer or a lending manager or even somebody who's maybe lower on the totem pole but does that particular thing every day, all day. Because um, if I don't, that's going to be the end of it. And I'm probably going to find myself looking for a job <laughs> and that's something I really don't want to do because I, I kind of like where I'm at uh, right now in my career. But anyway, not to get you bored down with the, the details of big bad banking stuff, um, but I really ultimately just say that, that no matter who you are, no matter what position you have, no matter how much expertise you have, no matter how much knowledge you have, we must all have ultimately the willingness to see something for the first time and to see it all over again, even if it's the hundredth time we've seen it. Dismissive attitudes of, 
I've already heard this before, you know, ultimately insulate us from the ability to tune our ears to have the ability to hear. And if we're going to follow the exhortation, uh, you know, that we can be often reminded of from James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If we're going to walk in that, then we must make sure we take the time to truly hear. Because I feel that too often and more often than not, we're just interested in hearing quickly. Get the distinction. We want to hear quickly, but we never want to be in a position, more often than not it seems these days, to put ourselves to quickly be in a position to hear. We want to hear quickly and move on, and then so we can get to the thing we really like to do the most, and that is speak and be angry. <laughs> Sad, but true. Well, hey, everybody. This has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy's Table Podcast, jimmystable.com. Hope you've enjoyed the show, and I just want to take a moment for all those who have listened and say thank you. Um, you know, this show's starting to get a little bit of traction, starting to get some regulars listening to jimmystable.com. Subscription base is growing a little bit, uh, seeing a little more activity on the website and some comments on jimmystable.com. Um, so thank you to all of those of you who listen. Uh, you know, I have some regular listeners, not only here in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, but, you know, I'm starting to see people in Georgia and Tennessee and Texas, uh, some places in the Midwest. Uh, somebody out in Oregon is listening to me on a regular basis. Hello to whoever you are in Oregon <laughs> that's listening to me. I uh, hope you're enjoying uh, people in Alberta, Canada, and uh, some folks up in New York are occasionally, uh, you know, listening. So thank you. Uh, you know, I, I take this show seriously, and I hope to provide you content uh, that really enriches you and makes your life better and gives you something to think about so that you can have the ability to hopefully hear. Um, you know, I try to make every show thoughtful and intentional and um, you know it may never grow to be a thousand million people listening to this podcast that's you know not my intention uh, I just like having enough people to sit around the table with me and to have a conversation um, and hopefully uh, you know we can all learn from each other at the end of the day so anyway everybody this has been Jimmy Humphrey jimmystable.com email me jimmy at jimmystable.com Facebook Twitter all the usual places. If you've not left a review yet on Apple, uh, iTunes, you know, can I ask you to do that? That would be awesome. Uh, really appreciate uh, any feedback you can give on the show, especially if you like it. <laughs> especially if you like it. If you hate the show, don't say anything. I don't want to hear your negative feedback. <laughs> kidding of kidding, of course. I want to hear. I want to have ears to hear. Just like Jesus said. So take care, everybody. God bless and have a good one.